Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the three chickens and a state park edition. This week, we're explaining whether ballot initiatives are becoming the new political battleground, why Republicans think natural gas is a green energy, the changes made to a bill about transgender athletes, and whether we're about to put the governor's office in charge of public education. Joining me this week is our fabulous intern, Nolan Simmons. Welcome to the podcast, Nolan. How do you do? And before we get started, I just want to make a quick possibly familiar to you now pitch. If Ope is a podcast you enjoy, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen. So let's get into it. Our first topic is about a bill making it easier for kids in 4-H to buy baby chicks and how that became a controversial piece of legislation this week. So here's what happened. The bill, which had already passed the Ohio House, was in the Senate and Republicans decided that this would be a great place to add some amendments about natural gas. They added one labeling the fossil fuel a green energy, one that makes it harder for state parks and other public lands to say no to fracking leases, and one that limits the kinds of pesticides local communities can ban. You know, one of the most interesting things I pulled from this when uh, reading the story was that the, the ostensible reasoning behind, uh, you know, adding this into the chicken bill, um, <laughs> you know, especially with the... Um, the omnibus farm bill. The <laughs> omnibus farm bill, of course. You know, addressing addressing an issue that does go back years, uh, you know, a, a regulatory agency or a, uh, an agency that you know, is supposed to approve these things in a bill that's already been passed. Uh, you know, I, you can understand the reasoning behind it or why if it was a standalone bill, where, where it would come from. But, uh, you know, to add this into a chicken bill to the omnibus bill. That's the that's the beauty of lame duck. You get these Christmas tree bills where they take one thing and then they add a bunch of other stuff into it. And we call it a Christmas tree bill because it kind of looks like you're hanging all these ornaments or all these amendments onto the original tree. So one of the things that Republicans have expressed frustration about is that we legalized drilling on public lands about a decade ago, but the leases themselves have been slow or almost non-existent. And so this kind of moves it from you may do this to you shall do this. And it seems like a small word change, but the change from may to shall is pretty big, legally speaking, because it means unless the driller is is unqualified, you have to kind of say yes to one of these leases. So like if Nolan and I rolled up with a drill and like went to Mohican Lodge and we're like, we'd like to drill baby drill, they'd be like, yeah, super not. But if like BP or Anadarko or some of these bigger firms came out, then like barring any like reasons why they might not be qualified or appropriate, you'd have to say yes. A question that I have from a layman's perspective is how do mineral rights play into the situation? Yeah. So it is a lease of their mineral rights. So they don't allow surface drilling on these properties. And that's kind of an important distinction. So you won't see like a derrick out in front of a Mohican Lodge. It's like, a, I think of it like a bendy straw. So you drill into the ground somewhere else and then it sort of snakes onto the property. So you're really leasing the ground that's under the surface to the oil and gas company, which is like really fascinating that you can have like the surface rights and the mineral rights, and they can be two different responsibilities. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest pieces of criticism that you hear to the addition of this part in, in the bill is, you know, that it, it could lead to drilling under public parks and, uh, you know, natural land. Yeah. And then it might take away the right of like local communities who want to say no to this to say no. And, you know, proponents of the bill respond that it doesn't necessarily mean that um, the agency like does have to approve every single 
application for drilling. What's kind of the wiggle room, I guess? Where's the truth in either of those statements? I think what it is is that it turns it into a shell. So it's more of that, like, if there were good reasons, say, questions about the viability of the company or their qualifications or where they're going to locate the drills. Like, There's lots of, like, technical reasons, but it's not like, I just don't like this anymore, Hmm. which seems to be what they're implying is the holdup. Do we have a lot of natural gas drilling in Ohio as it stands? We have a lot of natural gas. Yeah, we got a ton of it, That, which is part of the reason why they want to do this. Gotcha. Our second topic is high school sports and who gets to play on which teams. Republicans think transgender girls shouldn't play on female sports teams, and they're in the process of passing a law to make that illegal. Folks like Senate President Matt Huffman say it's a fairness issue. They say kids who are born boys have certain biological advantages that make them faster runners, faster swimmers, etc. And that's true if you look at times for like the 100 meter dash, the college record for guys in Ohio is faster than the Olympic record for women. But the Olympics, the NCAA, and even the OHSAA have rules to mitigate this. They require all transgender girls uh, to be on hormone therapy for at least a year. And they say, and a lot of scientists back them up, that lowering testosterone levels lowers that competitive edge. But, you know, Republicans don't agree with that and they're in control and it looks like we're going to get this law. An interesting thing that opponents say about the bill is that high school sports, middle school sports, these non-collegiate, you know, athletic activities are about much more than just competition. You know, it's it's a notion of team building and camaraderie. And a place to belong sometimes for kids. Yeah. You know, a, another topic that that's worth mentioning, though, is that uh, there's is it still the case that there's only one current transgender athlete on a varsity team in Ohio? Yeah, only one varsity. There's a couple, there's a handful of uh, transgender athletes throughout the state, but only one plays varsity currently. And, you know, her story struck me specifically because she she's not, you know, a super well-trained athlete. She only joined, I believe it was her high school softball team, her sophomore year. And the original bill um, went into effect right as she, I think the detail that you had in your story was that right as she learned how to swing a bat, <laughs> she had the, you know, Ohio lawmakers taking a different perspective. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the challenges is that you're not a lot of people are transgender in the general population and not a lot of transgender people are into sports and not a lot of transgender people who are into sports are good at sports. And so you're talking about a very like small, small subset of the population that you're legislating against. But I mean, Republicans point to some of the more famous cases about like runners in Connecticut and like swimmers and where we've just seen it make the national news. So I think that's their argument is that they do exist. Well, to that note, you know, one super interesting thing about this and this latest development is that, you know, you have a lot of Republican leadership admitting that the original general check part of the bill was a mistake (laughs) to originally be added. Yes, that is a good catch for careful readers. Uh, House Speaker Bob Cup said to reporters that adding a provision that would have required a physician to perform a pelvic exam to determine the sex of any child whose gender was questioned was a mistake and shouldn't have been in the bill. And now it won't be in the bill. They'll just have to produce an original birth certificate. So far less invasive. So they did walk back the most controversial part of the legislation. Do we know how that ended up in there in the first place? I have heard some rumors about how that happened, but nothing I can say on air. Our, intrigue. Our third topic is also about kids, but this time it's about who here in Ohio gets to be in charge of their education. A bill passed in the Senate this week would take control from the elected State Board of Education and give it to Governor Mike DeWine. Republicans say this is a long time coming. Governors all the way back to Voinovich in the early 1990s have asked for this change, but Democrats say the timing is a little suspicious. 
suspicious since Democratic-leaning candidates picked up three seats on that state board in the last election. And this is also a really, really big bill and a big topic. And it's one of the few times that I'm going to recommend that you read the article if you want to understand it because it's 2,100 pages long. It makes a lot of changes to education and we are absolutely not going to be able to cover it in this podcast. One thing that proponents of the bill you know, keep repeating is that it makes changes to education policy in Ohio uh, happen quicker, happen more efficiently, and that it allows constituents to have a bit more of a direct uh, you know, line to, to people who decide education policy. But you know, it's an interesting charge considering that it's taking the power away from a democratically elected board. Yeah. And so the board hasn't done themselves any favors in the past year. They've taken a long time to pick a new head of public education. They've taken over a year. We still have an interim state superintendent. The first person they picked ran into ethical complications and had to resign right after he took the job. You know, they've gotten into some culture war issues and especially culture war issues on federal issues that are beyond their purview. And the argument is they they are getting bogged down in things that are beyond the scope of their responsibilities and they aren't really working on things like pandemic learning loss and test scores and graduation rates. And that's the, the argument is that having one person in charge in the governor's office would be more effective in changing policy than having a 19-member board and then an elected state superintendent. So less people equals faster change, which theoretically makes sense. But the flip side of that is like, I mean, we do elect the people who help draft big picture education policy and we wouldn't get to anymore. The State Board of Education is sticking around, but how will the powers be divided if this bill passes? Yeah, so the State Board of Education is in the Constitution. So to get rid of them, you'd have to amend the Constitution, and Republicans are super not doing that right now. So they'd be like a licensing board, kind of like a medical licensing board. They would do teacher license revocation and suspension. They would do territory transfers, like that kind of stuff, which is still like big deal. Like deciding whether a teacher has done something bad enough that we need to revoke their license is serious business. Our fourth and final topic is about the new political battlefield, ballot initiatives. This is where we ask voters to decide whether to legalize things like abortion access, recreational marijuana, casino gambling, and... You know, these are coming a lot more commonplace, not only in Ohio, but across the country. We're seeing big ballot initiatives make big change. So the residents of Michigan, Kentucky, Kansas, and other states use ballot initiatives to maintain or expand abortion access in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. And in Ohio, we're saying, you know, maybe it shouldn't be so easy to amend the Constitution, or at least a couple of Republicans are saying that. They want to raise that bar from 50% plus one vote to 60% to make further constitutional changes. Now, this isn't a new push. You know, there's been different movements to change it to 55 percent of the population. But, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. A lot of criticism that you hear is also about this, you know, almost suspicious timing of this move, uh, similar to the change in the State Board of Education. Yeah, it's definitely something that we're seeing is there's a question of, you know, abortion access seems to be popular with the majority of Ohioans, some abortion access, not like unlimited. And what we've seen in Kentucky and Kansas, like conservative, traditionally red states, is an overwhelming majority, uh, not quite 60% though in either state, who supported uh, protecting or maintaining access to their abortion laws. And so yeah, that is the criticism, that this is an end run around what the people of Ohio want. But you know, you talk to Brian Stewart, who is the lawmaker who introduced this resolution, and he says it should be hard, right? Like we shouldn't just be able to amend anything we want into the Constitution. We shouldn't make law in a Constitution. And I get that. It can feel a little weird to try and legislate through constitutional amendment. But, you know, people, the supporters say uh, the legislature is far more conservative than the state. 
and they think this is maybe their only avenue. I don't know. It'll be really interesting. This does have to go to voters. We would get to vote on it as early as spring of 2023. So it'll be really interesting to see what voters think. There's something to be said, too, about the provision that the uh, the same limit didn't apply to legislative broad amendments to the Constitution at first. Right. And then they got a lot of pushback on that and they made it more consistent. And, you know, something else that's a bit eye opening is just how this is a, a movement being supported and really, really pushed by uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Yeah. And who may or may not run for U.S. Senate in 2024. And one more thing before you go. There's a big brouhaha going on about a painting. Yeah. You heard me right. The portrait of Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor is going to be moved and the rest of the court can't agree on where it should hang. Judicial Center staff, the three Democratic justices, and O'Connor herself think it should go in the Grand Concourse. That's the main hallway on the first floor of the court. And they say it would be a nice sign of respect and a nod to the fact that she was the first female justice, chief justice in Ohio history, and the longest serving statewide woman in public office. But the three Republican justices on the court, they voted against giving her that prominent spot. So we, we still don't know where it's going. Yeah. Pat DeWine, had his reasoning behind voting it down uh, is that he thinks that these kind of decisions uh, are made best with the wisdom that comes with time and shouldn't be rushed through, you know, referring to with putting Thomas J. Moyer's portrait in the concourse. But also there might be something to be said about with O'Connor being the, the first woman chief justice of the Ohio Supreme Court and also being in the position for as long as she has been, um, not to mention just her, you know, really notable kind of standout exception and ruling against her party line and redistricting. So, yeah. And I mean, I have no I have literally no idea if that factors into the decision making of any of the Republican justices who voted differently from her. But it's just it's a strange question. And we'll all be keeping an eye out to see where Justice Maureen O'Connor's portrait finally ends up hanging. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like daily-jeff.com.